In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me is not Richard. Oh, no, 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 no. He is out there chasing the ghosts, evidently, and he won't be here next week because he's got two weeks of ghost chasing. But with me is my favorite photographer and radio host, Laura Worcester. Hey, Ron. How's it going? Good. Good. Yeah, so Richard's uh, doing his ghost story thing, so he won't be here. So That's understandable. No, it isn't. <laughs> you know, you can chase ghosts anytime. You can only do live radio one time. <laughs> well, you got a point there. Yeah, so, so what's, what's been happening with you anyway? <laughs> Um, lots I hear things. you got big change coming. What do you mean, nothing? I hear big change. <laughs> lots of things. Um, as you know, I've been um, co-hosting a radio show with Don Jones on Blog Talk Radio called Walking the Path with Don and Laura. And we've been doing that for about a year, but just recently we um, finished our last show, which was yesterday, and we're moving over to AchieveRadio.com. And we'll be um, doing our show Sunday evenings from at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, Chief Radio, I've heard of them before. They're, uh, they're big in, like, in the metaphysical and stuff. Yes, I'm really excited. Mm. And I also heard you've been having some little problems with light bulbs and things. <laughs> A little bit. I don't know what's going on, but, you know, you know like, you know, I go turn the light switch on and it and it blows out and, and my headlights won't turn off and, you know, mm. stuff like that. Just minor things. Coincidence, I think not. For some yeah. reason, I, love I don't know why, but yeah. for some reason, the paranormal always, always does mess up electronics. I it, oh. and you know, I get tired of using that excuse, but it, it really does. There's no doubt about it. I mean, um, yesterday, uh, Don and I were interviewing Linda Howe, who is one of the leading experts in the Akashic Records, uh-huh. and she's just one of those people. She's like really connected to like that realm. You know, she's a really high vibration person, and and. Uh, when we got on the phone with her, the first thing that happened as soon as I, we started talking to her, my light, all my lights dimmed in the room I was in. And there was no explanation for that. And like, you know, if you know your own home, you know where, you know, when the, the dishwasher runs or the dryer runs, you know that, you know, certain things happen. You know, right. Sometimes you know your own home, basically. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I had nothing running at the time. 
you know, appliance-wise. So I was like, oh, that's a coincidence, huh? <laughs> mm. so, so was, yeah, it's really interesting. But. I, I remember when I first met you, in fact, uh, and I, we, of course we always tell the story how we met in Elizabeth Foley's Reiki class. Uh-huh. Uh, but when I, I first uh, started working with you, um, your, every time I called you, your phone would die. Yes. <laughs> we had approximately... 60 seconds possibly to get what we need to talk about. <laughs> Gotta go plug the phone in. Quick. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Coincidence? I think, I think not. not. <laughs> and you know what? It, it really, I mean, it, I just hate hopping on this, but people don't realize it. You know, they always say, oh, yeah, yeah, it is coincidence. You know, I, I was uh, doing this, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, thing for uh, Spitaleri's group. Uh, it was a cemetery thing for raising money for the cemetery or whatever it was. I did a little talk there. But uh, there was another ghost group there, and they had batteries, and sure enough, I mean, they had the recorders. They had just put new batteries in. Yeah, they all died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, anyways. But speaking about weird stuff, uh, we've got a great guy coming on the show now. Uh, he is none other than Mr. Cal Cooper. Cal, you there? Yep, I'm here. How you doing? Did I say your name right? Yep, Cal Cooper, that's right. <laughs> Damn, that's good. I am really good. Now, now, Cal, you, uh, you've been involved in the paranormal for a little bit now, and uh, do you find that same problem with you, that you do have problems with uh, electronics and so forth? Um, when we first started doing investigations, when I first went on them, there was the common occurrence of batteries suddenly going dead when people took along brand new battery packs and everything amid charged, and sometimes you go into a room and it got drained. So we got that now and then, and... I think we've got a few little rational explanations for it, but it is strange every time that happens. Yeah, a few rational explanations. Yeah, possible ones. (laughs) There's there's actually a thing, uh, it's called... Now, everybody knows about... uh, Let me ask you this, Kel. uh, You don't consider yourself a medium, do you? No, I'm a parapsychologist. I'm psychologist is um, my main job, but um, I specialize in the paranormal area and anomalous experiences, so... Um, I've gone down the route of parapsychology. Um, all my backgrounds in that, all my research papers have been into ESP, telepathy, the sense of being stared at, uh, survival of death theories, and I gained a scholarship last year from the Parapsychology Foundation in New York as well, continue my research. I'm also the student representative of the Parapsychology Association as well. So that's my yeah. background. I'm the, the scientist side of things. So you're basically you're a wicked smart guy then? Uh, some people might say so. Others <laughs> might not. And uh, are you familiar with dowsing, for instance? Yes. In your research, right? And yes, uh, dowsing is one thing. We, we, uh, well, I, I, we could talk about a lot of things, but let's, well, you dowsing, witchboards, uh, glass swirling, uh, it's all very similar. Um, what if, What is your feelings regarding it as a parapsychologist? Uh, in my opinion, I think virtually all of those can be explained by the EDM motor effect and the, the suggestion of what the purpose of dowsing and crystal... I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you've got the suggestion there of what it does, you're going to uh, move it anyway. But if you ever try holding a crystal perfectly still on the end of a chain or uh, the dowsing rods, that... They will subtly move, so if you've got the suggestion there that you're talking to spirits and you're asking them questions and it requires a a response after the question, uh, I think it's very hard for the unconscious to not take control and you have these very subtle muscular movements within your hands and fingers 
but start to make it go the way that you'd expect it to. Okay. Um, so, um, yep, but there are ahead. people that still divine for water, and that seems to work quite well. I mean, if it's under the floor uh, in a field, say there's an underground stream, there's there's not always that chance that you know that it's there. So in those cases, it seems to work quite well. But with regards to communication with supposed spirits, I'm not sure suppose something paranormal is going something paranormal is going on there. I think it's mainly psychological. Okay, I, I, Laura, I know you're there, but I, I do want to continue <coughs> this a little bit because. Okay. I did have this conversation with Karen while he was over here. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh. <laughs> okay, so, well, no, we, we had a discussion, and he says, well, you know, what is dowsing? And I says, well, dowsing is, is you know, that you tap into spirits, and basically you, you, they're given their answers through you. In other words, it's not the spirits that are moving the pendulum. It's you. But I differ in uh, Karen's thoughts that we do it physically. I, I believe that it may not be physically that we move it. We, it may be uh, through telekinesis uh, uh, in that we do it. I mean, he says, well, it may be, you know, because there's ever so slight muscles and nerves. But uh, that's fine. I mean, that's a, an explanation. But if you're going to throw that explanation at me, I want to know what muscles and what nerves are moving. And I want to see the data on it. And there is none. Um, yeah, Kieran was actually talking about that recently because we did have quite a few conversations. After, we'd reviewed a, a, a few videos of people doing um, glasswork and uh, Ouija boards. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing that I could reference was uh, Faraday, who was the original researcher um, of this EDM motor effect. Right. Back to the, the 1850s and 60s. I'll so, tell you yeah, we were thinking of doing an updated paper at some point where we could go through all these different effects and write a, a modern-day paper with regards to spirit communication and deviation, glass movement, crystals. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I suppose there isn't any recent data on it. We can just apply it to different areas of psychology and say, well, possible explanation is this. We should really actually get a paper out there to actually look at what's going on. And that's the thing. I mean, uh, Faraday was, you know, he did his research back in the 1800s, and you tell me what type of machines they had to measure uh you know, nerve uh, in uh, muscle movement back then. Exactly, yes. So I, I would be most interested in working with either, either of you on this or both of you on this as the other, as the subject or the, uh, uh, the other point of view on this because uh, I do believe, I, no, I do understand that we move the objects. The question is how we move the objects. Do we move it physically or are they moved telekinesis-wise, otherwise through uh, brain waves or by tapping into spirits? Well, if we take the, the glass-moving experiments with the Ouija boards, etc., first, if you take the top of a glass and you were to put two pieces of cardboard, just a circular piece of cardboard that fits the same uh, width as the top of the um, glass, layer them on each other, and then put everyone's finger on top of that, you can tell whether it's being pushed or whether spirits are... Um, moving the glass because if you're pushing it obviously the cardboard would slide forwards the direction the glass is going in pushing uh, where the finger's pushing the cardboard away. If spirits were dragging the glass then you'd expect the cardboard to come towards the finger as the glass moves away so people can't predict where it's going so that's one way of testing that but again... Actually we have it, another way of testing it uh, in our last investigation with the Hooten Mansion when Carol was there unfortunately he wasn't in the room is that we had the glass move by itself with no fingers on it, and it was videoed. Right. 
Uh-huh. Okay. I'd like to see that video. That'd be quite interesting. I would interesting. like to see that. that. I know you would. <laughs> <laughs> How far away was everyone's hands from the glass? Uh, not on it. Not even close. Not even close. A few inches away? Six inches. Right. And how far did the glass move? Slightly. <laughs> we'll be not- did you get um, an, a camera angle from the top and bottom of the table to see where everyone's hands, feet, and everything? No, everywhere because it wasn't a controlled experiment. It happened okay. while it happened. So, okay. but that's that's neither here nor there. I see where you're coming from. Yes, you should be in a controlled thing, but uh, still, I think it it, it requires further uh, investigation. And uh, that's not the first time that that happened. Uh, it's happened before. So I would love to uh, work more with you guys on this. I think that yeah, d- definitely. I'll, I'll get in contact with Kieran and actually bring him up to date and say that we should actually start going over this Faraday stuff, research everything they did, and then do a modern day study and paper for the Society for Psychical Research or some area of parapsychology that'd be interested in seeing what's going on. Because there are so many groups that are still using this. Um, method of spirit communication, so right. it would be nice to update the psychological research. Absolutely. So anyways, uh, uh, Laura's been so quiet here, and I really do apologize, Laura, I've been kind of oh, dominating here, no, but I, I want to hear, you know, what, what is your thoughts, I mean, on this as well? Um, I mean, I agree with the, with the it was, because it's not being held by something solid, it's being held by a human being, so with, obviously with um you know, the slightest movement can really can make all the difference in the world. And unless it's actually being held by something solid, not moving at all, it's, it's impossible to really tell for sure if it's valid information that you're getting or not. Because I, I think even, I know a lot of people who use it to get yes or no questions mm-hmm. um, answered. And I just think they, you know, a lot of I mean, maybe sometimes people don't get the valid answer. Um, but I also believe a lot of times, too, that people already have an answer they're kind of leaning toward, and they're kind of subconsciously moving the pendulum in one way or another. So, it's the, I, yeah, I kind of agree. You know, it can be used for good things, too, but a lot of times it's, it's hard to tell if it's valid or not. And that's the problem with what we do. But I understand okay. that uh, uh, Barry John is with us as well. I am. How are you? Good. Barry, now you're, you're a, what, a medium psychic? Uh, one of those things, right? <laughs> That's very true, yeah. I've been on the show many times before with you, Rod, and it's great to be back. I, I know that. Thank you so much for coming on. So you've you're got welcome. to weigh in on this thing now. You just can't sit there quietly. Well, no, not at all. I mean, I'm, I'm just curious. Obviously, I've only just joined, so I'm just listening. And I realize now that you're talking about pendulums and we're talking about how do we get proof of spirit, I'm guessing. So... Um, I mean, picking up on the conversation of what people are talking about, you know, I totally agree. You know, if, if we're using a pendulum or we're using anything in forms of any form of divination, if we can connect that to a fixed point rather than being to a human's finger, um, it's obviously going to make a big difference because, especially with pendulums, one of the things we have to look at is people's arms get tired, we have a natural movement, um, and also, um, you know, you need, to, you need to have stability. You know, if you've got your arm resting on something, then it helps. Um, but the same with the glass moving. Do you know what? I do so many events where you can physically see people pushing a glass but not realizing they're pushing it. So, you know, we do have to turn around and say, look, would you mind just stepping away a minute? Because you have this inkling that, you know, they're actually pushing it or forcing it to go somewhere across a board or across a table. 
Um, and it is difficult. Do you know what? We all get tired, especially when you stood up around a small little table with your finger on a glass. It is so easy in your mind for it automatically to take over and start pushing the glass or sliding the glass across the table. Right. So, well, do you, do you believe there's validity to it or, or not? That's what I'm trying to get from you. I, mean, I know you. You're, that's kind of like you're uh, agreeing with the parapsychologist, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it, spiritually, uh, when, you said you've done it before, so therefore, uh, when you've uh, committed to it and, and you're doing it, are you in touch with spirits? My view, um, I would say yes to a proportion of it. I think it's difficult unless you know what people are asking for a specific reason. Um, if I was using a glass or I was using any form of planchette device, I would use letters with it because I wanted to spell something out that was actually feasible or something that was correct. Um, the one thing I don't like is when people are using Ouija boards and you're getting loads of cobbledygook and it doesn't mean anything and we end up with loads of just letters and words that mean absolutely nothing. You know, sorry, that isn't a form of communication. When we speak of spirit, we, we speak of spirit having knowledge, being able to communicate with us. Um, and from my experience, you know, I mean, I've used um, a Ouija board for many, many years from being a child. Um, I've done a lot of divination, etc. But I always want physical, physical proof. And if we can get a justifiable name or justifiable sentences or phrases, then I'm 100% behind it. It's when you get these situations where you feel as though somebody's pushing it to try and get the information the information that they want from it and it's not actually spirit doing it but for me personally yes i still do believe that you know there is a form of spirit communication there behind it okay the thing go ahead sorry go ahead, the thing that i've always questioned with its reliability as to it being a form of spirit communication is who said in the first place that if you turn a glass upside down place your fingers on it and ask questions you will contact the spirits of the dead. I, mean, I don't see where that really came from or who was the person that invented that idea. But equally with the other ones, who said, oh, if you do this, you will be contacting the dead if you ask questions as well. Actually, seems, yeah. I believe your fellow countrymen invented the last one. Yeah. yeah, but I think then you've got to go to things like your Hinesville wrappings, you've got to go back to things such as your Fox sisters, you've got to then start looking at the Ouija board where it was originally brought into place. Mm -hmm. And what we've got to consider is, you know, what a Ouija board was sold as a toy game, it was sold as a form of communication. Um, mm -hmm. And I can't remember the exact phrase of it now, I remember the phrase at one time, but it was something like, you know, getting all the answers to your questions, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But... You know, you can't just turn around and say, well, because nobody suddenly thought about it, you know, you can't get physical proof. We know that when we've used anything such as forms of Ouija boards or any form of divination and you've got letters in place, how can it possibly spell out people's names when people around the board don't actually know the person who's getting the message? So we do have to consider, do you know what, there is a form of something there and maybe we have to put it down to an unexplained, you know, but we know that there is a form of information coming. When we talk about things such as pendulums, I have big reservations about things such as pendulums. But, for instance, that could go on to things such as the Frank's box when we're trying to get proof of spirit communication or proof of spirit. Because, you know, people have tried to get me to use the Frank's box for year after year after year. You know what? I think it's the biggest load of gobbledygook that comes out of it. I have never, <laughs> ever seen. I've never, Why don't you say what you really mean, Barry? <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. But do you know what? I have never seen any physical proof. The thing that amazes me with the Frank spot, people will stand there with it and they'll say, is anybody in this room? And suddenly you hear it ticking through all these channels until it eventually gets to one and it'll come out with a name or, or it'll come out with 
some bizarre word and you think, hang on a minute, that wasn't a name at all. That was just part of a song. You know, and until somebody can actually say to me, look, this is a Frank's box. Listen to this, Barry. Do you know what? You're going to get your mum talking to you through this and she's going to give you a justifiable sentence or something, a provable sentence that you will understand. It is the biggest load of gobbledygook. And same as the, um, I'm, tr I'm trying to think of the other word now. Wow. The, the, um, yeah, but, but you know, I, I do believe in what... Let me work fire on you. <laughs> I'll calm down now. I'm just going to take a drink and calm down. Yeah. <laughs> you do you do realize the, the theory behind the Frank Sparks, correct, Barry? Yeah, I do. I do. And the theory is that, uh, all right, so, all right, j just look at it this way. It, it, it's not like an EVP where an EVP, uh, the spirit is manipulates the white noise on a recorder and puts its voice on it. The yeah. Frank Sparks... It, it's going through all the stations and just looping and looping, and there are lots of words out of the. And just because you are hearing one, two, three, four words, does not necessarily mean that those words are really the spirit communicating. He yeah. still may be looking for that freaking sentence, uh, you know, for <laughs> an hour before you get it. So I mean, uh, it's it's not anywhere close to some of the other methods of, uh, of divination, I guess you would Not call it, it's electronic I mean, divination. I'm, I'm, I'm picking that up as a bit of an example, really. But like <laughs> I say, even with a pendulum, do you know what? It's amazing, isn't it? Because when you're holding it, without even asking anything, you can automatically get it to move. You know, even mm. myself, you know, I'm an able character, an able person. I haven't got any sort of uh, ailments that make me shake. But even holding a pendulum, it will naturally move. And it's yeah. that natural movement that I don't like to see because, hang on a minute, you know, you're trying to tell me that that's moving of its own accord. However, is it its own accord or is it actually you that's just shaking it? You know, mm -hmm. nervous, people with nervous dispositions, you know, the worst person to give a pendulum to because somebody with a nervous disposition, all you're going to find is the pendulum's going to go like mad. And, and I've seen it on events where people have come with pendulums. And they've been stood in the corner of the room going, oh, my gosh, look at this, look at this, look at this. And you can see that they're physically swinging it round. And it's like, that's <laughs> the idea of it. You know, it's not going to take off. It's not a helicopter. It's not going to do anything. But that's the same with glass moving. Do you know what? From, from times when I've seen it used, and I'm talking about public events, which is an event where I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch it. I'd let the guests do it. But what you'll find is with it that, you know, you can always pick out the person that's pushing it. And, you know, one by one, you say, right, take your finger off. Okay, you take your finger off. And suddenly it'll stop, and it's like, okay. And you realize that somebody was pushing it. You know, I've even had it on events where you can see that somebody's pressing down so hard on a glass that it's not even going to move anywhere because they don't want it to move anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. and it's all this about, you know, what proof do we exactly want? You know, we're using gimmicks, aren't we? We're using toys of the trade, whatever you want to call it. You know, that's what a Ouija board is. That's what a glass is. That's what a pendulum is. It's a toy of the trade. It's something that we've devised to say, hang on a minute, this is something that we think could give us proof. Very similar to things like EMF meters. You know, an EMF meter, people seem to think it's a piece of ghost hunting equipment. No, it isn't. It was, it was an electrical piece of equipment that was used for testing equipment. But that's where most of our equipment comes from, natural yeah, things. Exactly. Yeah, what it, what it is, it's things that, you know what, we looked at it and thought, you know what, yeah, we could probably use that, that might work, you know, and, and that's what we've had to do to try and devise it, and not for people that believe, but really for people that don't believe, because at the end of the day, what we're all trying to do is prove to people that don't believe that there is actually something there, or that there could 
possibly be something there. So, so Cal, are you sorry I brought Barry on? No, no, I'm just <laughs> taking it all in. I'm, I'm glad he's actually had some of the same views as me, though. I, I thought he was going to say, no, go, go for the Ouija board, it's excellent. But no, no. no, no not totally. at all. Not at all. I, I've, I've seen the Ouija board used so many times, Cal, and I've seen it used very, very well, and I've seen it used very, very badly. You know, yeah. I've had people on events that have asked, is their father going to die of cancer because he's very ill? And do you know what? It's distorted people, and I've ended up doing counselling counseling for them afterwards, which we shouldn't have to do. You know, it comes to this fine line, doesn't it, what we always talk about in terms of mediumship or clairvoyance. You know, we are not counsellors. We're not here to, to, to do that counselling session between the two worlds. Mm -hmm. um, and, it's, and it is difficult when I've seen people ask questions and, you know, I sit there and I cringe and I think, why have you asked that? Because even I wouldn't ask that. And do you know what? I still, I still have doubts about the Ouija board myself. I'm aware that, you know, we all have this, um, you know, we all have this ability to move it automatically, let's say that, you know, and I'm putting it in a very polite term there. But what I want to do is see experiments performed professionally, performed in controlled conditions, and actually to give us something that's provable. That's what I want. We've tried to test it before where we actually create a, a Gansfeld situation for uh, mm. testing the Ouija board. The Gansfeld is a procedure we use in parapsychology, which creates an altered state of consciousness. And in the actual Gansfeld procedure, we put um, eye shields on people. Red light goes over the yeah. eye shield, so you can see this nice warm red glow. And they sit in a comfy chair, they get relaxed, they go through a meditation tape, and then they have some sort of target in uh, those experiments to focus on. And they hear white noise, and the white noise kind of drowns out. And it just sends you off into this nice dreamlike state where you're kind of uh, thinking on impulse rather than trying to think things lo through logically. You, you just get a thought and then try and focus on it and take it further. So when we last tested the Ouija board, we had white noise on in the background. Everyone had um, gone through a bit of a relaxation procedure, tried to meditate a little bit. And then we blindfolded everyone after they'd seen the Ouija board and we just spun it around, brought everyone to the table, placed their hands on the glass and it just spelt out gobbledygook. So it just showed that there was such a high psychological effect going on there. I know it's fantastic if we're looking for specific names and dates that can come through at times. You're like, well, wow, you know, we wouldn't expect any of the people around this table to know that. But again, when you lead someone into a building, you want to know, you know how much of that information that's within the building, have they taken in unconsciously when walking past a painting that's got a name or dates on, or just glancing through a book years ago that, that was about that building, and the unconscious has just slipped it in and it's come out again. I mean, it's a possibility, but you know, it shows how many different psychological variables we've got to consider that could explain why they came out with that information that's probably not necessarily related to spirits, but you know, we've still got that possibility. But, you, so we have, you know, wait a minute, you know, Cal, uh, I, I called Karen Dr. Pooh, but I think I'm going to change it and give you that name. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's interesting, but the, the thing I find, you know, I, I am on both sides of this, this whole trip that we're on investigating the paranormal. I see the spiritual side and I see the scientific side. And the thing that, that almost irritates me about parapsychologists as much as I do am irritated by some of the great spiritualists, is that they're so devout in your beliefs, and that's what parapsychology is, is a belief, is that you try to analyze it and make it so cold that you're actually destroying the whole use of the particular object or objects. In other words, you want to take them and make them so 
sterile and so devoid. Uh, oh, we actually have to take a break. Well, I'll have to get off my high horse after the break. You are listening to the Ghost Chronicles <laughs> International with Cal Cooper, Barry John, Laura Worcester, and Ron Kolick. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parax family. Everything you heard about witches is true. Halloween is the time of year when the shades of the dead whisper from forgotten places and spirits walk among us. The witches of Salem, Massachusetts, honor this time with Festival of the Dead, an annual event series that explores death's macabre customs, heretical histories, and strange rituals. Founded by Salem witches, Sean Poirier and Christian Day, and hosted by the foremost authorities on the spirit world, Festival of the Dead beckons guests to step through the veil into a mysterious realm where spirits await you. To learn more or to purchase tickets, visit festivalofthedead.com. Happy Halloween! <laughs> You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Ron Golick and Laura Worcester. Our special guests are Cal Cooper and Barry John. We got two for the price of one here. Uh, the website okay. is okay. calcooper.com and also that's C-A-L-C-O-O-P-E-R.com and barryjohn.com, B-A-R-R-I-E-J-O-H-N.com. I think I got that right, didn't I, guys? Yeah, did, yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyways, before I get cut off, do uh, you see where I'm going with this? For instance, it, you're saying, okay, well, you know, the glass should move anyways uh, if nobody's touching it. But it, it, not necessarily. If you realize, if you go with the premise that uh, spirits need energy to do certain uh, uh, things, then they, you are providing the energy through your body. It's pretty much like Reiki. You, you, you understand how Reiki works, right? Yeah, but you you wouldn't need that for poltergeist activity, though. So if the you know if they need energy, how can well, they... it's not necessarily uh, two the same <laughs> thing. It could be apples and oranges. Just because it's poltergeist activity does not mean that spiritual. Uh, for instance, there could be uh, different levels of spirit or, or spirits that are. Can I just interrupt? Go ahead. Can I just interrupt? Go on. See, I'm, oh, I'm, 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 loving this. I'm, I'm, loving, I'm loving this debate, what we're having at the moment. <laughs> I'm getting on my high horse a little bit at the moment because I just want to backtrack a bit because Cal was mentioning these experiments where he's blindfolded people, um, and I've done experiments like that. I mean, I did one quite a few weeks ago now where basically I was blindfolded working with a group of people. They was all blindfolded, and we got somebody asking mathematical questions. And it worked out something like eight out of ten questions we got right, you know, two out of ten we got wrong. 
and, and it was a good experiment, and I've seen this done a few times. So I, I do like what Cal's saying there, because that is what I believe in that we have to do. We have to experiment with things. But mm -hmm. what I'm loving about what you're saying now, Ron, is, is, is the fact that, do you know what, people who are coming on events want some sort of proof. They still have a big belief in terms of the paranormal. And, and what I don't want to do is I don't want people to go away from an event or to go away from what they believe in, thinking, do you know what, that's all just been made up. We don't agree with that anymore. And it's like what you're talking about. You know about glass moving, that when we talk about, Cal mentioned poltergeist activity. Um, now, remembering that we've spoke about poltergeist activity numerous times, and when we talk about poltergeist activity, people get very confused what poltergeist activity is. Agreed. They automatically assume that poltergeist activity is spiritual presence or a spirit trying to perform something. Mm -hmm. it's, been proven, it's been proven time and time again that, paranormal, sorry, that, that poltergeist activity is not paranormal. It's been proven that it's basically a, it's a form of energy that's created by our adolescents mainly yeah. who, who have the ability of moving objects without trying it. So we know, we know that when we talk of poltergeist activity, we're not talking of spirit communication. What we're talking about is use of energy. And, and I can remember years ago, and I'm sure many people remember this, you know, when I was at school, we used to do an experiment where you used to try and pick people up with your fingers um, and we used to try this and you used to put your hands on the heads and suddenly you could pick them all up and we've never worked that out how that happened, how, you know, how you could do that. And I think that the biggest problem that we have to look at is people have got a belief, they've got an open mind. When I do an event, I always say, do you know what, guys, I'm a sceptical medium. And they all look at me and say, well, what do you mean by that? And I always say, because I have a belief. I believe that there is proof of, or that there is life after death and I want to prove it. However, I do realise that there are times when to prove that is very difficult, you know, and I will do anything in terms of trying to prove it to people. And if that means me being blindfolded or it means me, you know, listening to classical music, blindfolded, whatever, I will gladly do it to try and prove something. And, and I think, sorry, Ron, I know I'm jumping about here, but we've mentioned a few, a few things, and this is the subject that obviously is very close to my heart. But it's this, it's this poltergeist activity that I wanted to get back to because... We know that poltergeist activity isn't spirit, spirit activity or spirit presence. It's never been proven to be that. Well, no, it's, never, it's never been proven to be um, absolutely the adolescent side because if you look at all the classic poltergeist cases where it does involve the adolescent, um, Enfield poltergeist, the South Shields poltergeist had a family connection, it was the children that you, you got as the focus. All the times we've been to haunted locations to do um, research, um, I've never been involved in one of those classic portugal cases where people are saying that it's centering around the, the uh, child, but I have been to loads of haunted locations that have um, got re uh, reports of portugal activity there and the classic apparitions and so forth. And we, we, we just dropped the um, Ouija board experience. That. We didn't do that. We just threw objects instead or asked for bangs yeah, and taps. Yeah. And, and we got the It's like in Pleasyvale Mills, which Barry John and myself have been to yeah. quite a few times. We were in one of the big rooms in there just throwing rocks to the end of the room and I was with two police officers at the time that were doing some research and um, we just threw rocks across the room, asked for them to be thrown back and we did get a couple back but only if we asked for them to be thrown back. So in other cases we didn't throw anything, we just asked for an object to be thrown at us and we got a response. So there isn't a child that centres around that one. But then you've got the whole issue between, well, was it spirits of the dead or was it psychokinesis? We wanted something to come back so much that we were able to 
mm. create psychokinetic energy and move something back. So even then, we've still got a parapsychological effect going on. It might not be survival of death and looking at the brain and what happens after that, but we've got this element of the brain doing something whereby it's affecting the environment. And, 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 I, and I have to agree with you there, Cal, because, I mean, I've been asked to go to properties before that are supposed to have poltergeist activity. Right. And you know what? I still struggle finding it. You know, it's, I don't know. It might just not like me. It might not, might not want to play when I'm there. So I think we do have to look at that and say, well, is that a form of spirit presence? Or like Cal says, is it that we're wanting it to happen so much that it's automatically happening for us? Um, you know, right. that's, I mean, wait a minute. Before, first of all, you said something, Barry. You said that, that there was proof of the poltergeist activity. You realize that mainstream science does not recognize poltergeist activity. Exactly, yeah. All right, so there is no proof according to mainstream. I mean, isn't proof relative? Mm. Isn't this what it's all about? I mean, the parapsychologist is saying, okay, th- we need proof. This has got to be, this has got to be. And the spiritual says, well, we, we have proof because this does this. And to them, that, that is proof. And to you, it's not proof. But whose proof is it? You know, it, it, it's all relative. I published on this recently in this um, October edition of the Journal of Paraanthropology. If you put that in, you'll find their newsletter. I published an article on what constitutes as proof of the paranormal. Um, because I've got several cases that I documented. I wrote the full report when we did the haunting investigation. And we got what would be termed as poltergeist activity, and I couldn't explain it after we'd looked at all the possible rational explanations. And so we got video and camera evidence, and I just talked through what happened in each case and then looked at psychological explanations, parapsychological explanations. And um, the main thing I did was get these video clips of the event that happened and showed them to other parapsychologists in the UK that were at different universities that I'm good friends with. And um, they watched the video, and then they just produced all these sceptical questions, saying, well, where were you standing? And they wanted to know the whole event, and then said, well, it could be this, and it could be that. There was nothing wrong with that. Those were the exact same questions I would have asked if I'd have seen the video for the first time and I wasn't there. So you could take 100 parapsychologists on an investigation. They could set it up, put as many controls in place. They could capture poltergeist activity. And then they show it to 100 parapsychologists that weren't there and say, look, what do you think? And they'll just be absolutely sceptical. And I, I, I was kicking myself. I was saying, well, now I've caught this. It's mm-hmm. kind of useless because what constitutes a proof? Because the goalposts exactly. are moving. Right, exactly. That's so yeah. true because yeah. there's so many times when, I've, when I've, people have brought photographs to me and said, what do you think? This looks really cool. And I can look at it and I can see so many, like, okay, where, like you were saying, where were you standing when you photographed this? Whether the lights were on in the room? Is there sunlight coming in from one of the windows? All these different variations. Um, is, is there mist in the air? All these things. And they may have had an actual, honest-to-goodness, paranormal experience, and they think they got something on film, and they very well could have. It's just that how do you prove that to somebody who feels, I mean, everybody feels like they need to actually be there to really know for sure, because there's so mm-hmm. many variations um, to get, you know, come up with is, that particular recorded is, evidence, you know? Your own experience and being there and having all the senses working and just knowing that, you know, you were in this place, no one else was stood there, that's the only definite proof you'll get, and that's just a subjective and personal thing. Uh, People will say that the eyewitness testimony isn't reliable and it's for, you know, you can't just take someone's account, so then you take in the video camera and, you know, well, I can't see this angle, I can't see that angle. So what do you do then? You'd have to have, like, a hundred cameras set up in every possible angle. (laughs) And, and just outline the whole event every time. You'll have to have a running commentary to explain it. And even then, people say, 
video cameras, you could trick it. You could edit it. You could do whatever you like. You could. So you when does this faith the, come this in? This is though? the problem. <laughs> right. That's the thing. How, how, do, how do we measure human consciousness? There's so much we don't know about the human consciousness. How do we measure that? The, exactly. big, deal, well, the big thing is, no matter how you look at it, somewhere along the line, you have to have faith. When you go to a courthouse and you stand on the, on the, sit on the, the, uh, the bench there and they ask you, do you swear that the truth you are telling is the whole truth, nothing but the truth? There's faith there. They're accepting that you're, you're swearing that you're doing the truth. And that has to be in power because psychology. Like you said, Cal, you've got that video, you know, you, you thought you would be, you know, this is the, the Holy Grail or whatever. And you have a hundred guys saying, no, that's not. And, and yet you know. But yeah, I, I have to agree with them though, because if I was in their position and they'd show me something, I would have just been equally, I would be as equally skeptical. Because I wasn't there. I, I don't know. But I when do we there. have the faith is what I'm trying to say. When yeah. <laughs> do we finally accept people for their word? Why do we always say, oh, well, I was I mean, let's face it. Years ago, uh, the Hong Kong Morning Post was doing a, an article on uh, the proof of the paranormal. And I did an interview with them. And they said, well, what constitutes proof of the paranormal? I says, well, you know, if you get an EVP, if you're in a location, you get an EVP, you get a medium that's telling you something that's here and you can prove it out. You've got a, a photograph that something shows up on. You've got video that something shows up on. You know, a whole thing, each one of these things is not in itself proof of the paranormal. Even when you put them all together, it's still not proof of the paranormal to somebody who wasn't there, no matter what. Do you know what, Ron? That, that goes all the way through the spiritual past, doesn't it? I mean, I've done readings for people before, and their friends have turned around and said, well, how could he possibly know that? You must have told him. Um, and it does, because it's all of that. And Carl's right in what he's saying. Do you know what? Whatever you tell somebody, they won't believe it unless they see it firsthand. So why are we doing this? Why are we doing this if no one's ever going to believe, believe what we do? We've got to slowly keep... Oh, no, go on, Barry. No, no, no. What, what I was going to say was, was basically, do you know what? This is what gets me. And I mean, hopefully with Cal, you know, we've got our first open-minded parapsychologist because that's what I always am. I'm open-minded when I do an event. And what I want to do is, however many people I've got, whether I've got 40, 50, 100, whatever it is, I want each of them to go away with something in their mind that says, do you know what? Something happened and I don't know how it happened. I don't want to give them answers. I don't want to turn around to them and say, you must believe, you know, I don't dictate to them and say, you've got to be a spiritual person. What I say to them is, this is your personal experience. What happens to you tonight is your personal experience. And one of the things I've started using a lot on events lately is um, basically like a hearing, uh, um, an enhanced hearing device, which people use. And it's basically a, a set of headphones with a little microphone. You turn it up and it increases your hearing by about 50 decibels if you turn it full on. And, and what I basically do is, is let people wear that throughout the night. And you would be amazed at how many people, especially men, rip them off at some point during the night and throw them down and say, you know what, I've just heard my name mentioned. We, we had a guy a few weeks ago at the ragged school in London who was wearing them down in the basement. Um, and he ripped them off his ears, threw them on the floor, and we went over and said, what, what is the matter? And he says, somebody's just called my nickname through them. And we said, well, you're here with your girlfriend. He says, yes, but my girlfriend is on the fourth floor and nobody here knows my nickname. And he would not put them back on. He was shaking. He was petrified. Do you know what? But that was his personal experience. Everybody else around him thought, you know, he's just imagined that. 
you know, that was his personal interpretation. It didn't say anything. That's what he thought it said. And that's what it's all about. On any event, it's the personal, the, the personal experience that that individual has. And we know as soon as that guy went home, even to his partner and said, you know what, somebody called my nickname through that hearing device. His partner probably turned around and said, well, no, no, don't believe you. Don't believe that that happened. But we are all looking for something, aren't we? And I agree with you, Ron. You know, why are we doing it when there's so many people out there, especially parapsychologists, who turn around and, you know, when they're saying, oh, well, yeah, we believe in spirit, we believe that the spirit can communicate, we know they have knowledge because of information they've given us. But then suddenly you've got parapsychologists there saying, well, actually, no, they don't exist, they don't communicate because this is what's happening in your mind and it's your own interpretation. And I love what Cal said earlier, by the way, about, you know, when we walk into a building, you know, and suddenly you walk past a picture and you take it on board without realising it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? A lot of the events that I do are derelict buildings. There is no pictures. There is no information. <laughs> um, you know, so I don't know, you know, I don't know whether I can be accused of reading pictures there or whether I'm picking something up from the fabric of the building. But we have got to be able to keep an open mind. Everybody has. And I love it when I get somebody on my event and I always say to them, you know, how many skeptics have we got? And they all put that, you know, you'll get three or four of them put their hands up and you say, so you do believe in something? And they'll say, no, I don't believe. And I say, well, you just told me you're a skeptic. A skeptic means that you do believe in something, but what you want it to be done is proven to you. Mm -hmm. and, and I love, I love playing with people like that because it's like, come on then, I will take you. If you want something to be proven, I will put you in a room on your own with some equipment and you will sit there for half an hour or however long you want to sit there until it spooks you out and then come out and tell me that nothing happened or that you don't believe. Cal? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose if, if you leave someone alone in a haunted location, just say, right, if you think, you know, even if they're teetering on the line between being sceptic and open-minded, they're going to start to again, psychology comes in and we've got to take that into consideration with them um, having, you know, that little suggestion's been planted, it's that little seed and then it grows if you get left alone and someone shuts the door and says, you're not leaving until you have an experience. It's like feeding the picture cow. Well, as I say, you know, that's one possible explanation. As I say, they could have been reading about it before, but as you said, Ron, why bother doing it if, you know, the goalposts keep moving? And we've got to keep going because so many people report these uh, all kinds of psychic experiences you know knowing who's calling before the telephone actually rings thinking oh i need to speak to so-and-so and they ring or the sense of being stared at you get a tingly feeling and turn around and you see someone's looking at you and the daily basis of having apparitional experiences you know a person just suddenly appears in the middle of the room and then walks through a wall and these are things that you can't just put to one side and say well that was a bit creepy but it's best i forget about it no it's something new to science and especially psychology that's suggesting just that extra element of the mind and its capabilities that we need to try and harness and understand. But the problem is with it being just a psychological experience, uh, when we have, if we push uh, poltergeist activity to one side for a moment, when we just have these visions and that, it's just subjective. And there's got to be some way of um, clarifying the experience or even just recording these and taking them further and see if we can find a pattern in people's apparitional experiences. Tyrrell in the 1940s found that after he collected so many cases of apparitional experiences, that there are four different categories of apparition when you actually look at them and read through people's accounts. So, you know, that was a further stepping stone. And there's got to be some loophole at some point where we can actually say, okay, if we had this and this and these measures were put in place, that would constitute as evidence and there would be a genuine parapsychological phenomena. And, um, 
yeah, go on, Barry. But, but you know what, Cal? I mean, this goes back to what we were just saying, doesn't it? Because we're going back to persons, pers- people's personal experiences here. You know, yeah. if I suddenly said to you, do you know what? Oh, my God, you know, somebody just walked straight in front of me. You're, you guys are all going to turn around and say, well, all oh, right, I wonder if you just made that up. However, that is my personal experience. And this goes back to what we were saying. And you were talking about you did an experiment with poltergeist activity and you took it to show all the parapsychologists. And the mm-hmm. first thing that they said was, more or less in their own mind, would have been, oh, well, I don't believe that because I didn't see it. If I'd have been there when it happened, mm-hmm. then I would have believed it. And I think it's all about that, isn't it? It's all about, you know, do we believe people? Do we think people make it up? Do you know what? I've done many um, sort of investigations where people have reported activity. And some of the first things that I ask people when I go into, into their homes or into their properties is, you know, have you got any medication? Are you on any medication? You know, have you had problems before? How long has this been occurring? You know, have you had any recent um, bereavements or anything like that in your family? You know, any sudden occurrences? Because these all trigger things off. We know that. You know, we know that certain medication, uh, certain medications start people hallucinating. They start, um, you know, their mind going into overload mode, whichever way you wish to put it. And we do always have to be mindful of that. You know, and it's and this is why. I mean, I remember once I had a lady who used to ring me up at midnight every night. My television's come out into the middle of the room. Well, first of all, the lady was normally inebriated on alcohol when she rang me. And yeah. I used to think, you know what, this isn't spirit activity. This isn't any form of activity. This is somebody really who's either just messing around, because it was amazing. When the woman was sober, the TV mm. never moved. Yeah, you know, so we do have to consider things like that. For instance, you know, it's, it's things that just stick in my mind. And I, I'm sorry to sorry to interrupt you there, Carl, but I do think it's a personal experience for people. And, well, and like you say, gentlemen, I'm gonna I have to interrupt you because we actually have a question from the chat room. So I just do want okay. to get that in here. Uh, they've been trying to get a word in edgewise, but evidently we haven't let them. <laughs> So uh, this goes back to all the way back to we were talking about noise generators and uh, hack shack. Someone said, uh, you know those things like that that uh, Hawkins wears, uh, Stephen Hawkins uh, voice yeah. generators. Yeah. yeah. Uh, is there any research being done with that uh, in spirit communication? Um. Not that I know of, no. I'm just trying to think. I'm trying to think if I've ever done anything or I've heard of anything. I mean, I've done a lot of, um, like, voice phenomena, you know, using things like MP3s, et cetera, you know, that sort of thing. Right, right, right. And and I've done a lot of physical seances where I've seen a lot of direct voice, for instance, or I've heard a lot of direct voice. Mm -hmm. Do you know what? 90% 90% of the time I'm always very sceptical of direct voice because I've never fully understand or understood when I'm working with spirit, why do they have to talk in a phony Chinese accent? You know, why do they have to try and come through and talk with an accent that just doesn't fit right? We talk about spirit being able to communicate sensibly. But in terms of, um, like what you're on about now, Ron, in terms of voice um, voice control or, or trying to work with voice, I think a lot of people try and keep away from that or have done in the past. But for me, do you know what? I'm 100% behind it. I would love to try an experiment mm-hmm. like it. The closest I, I can to it is my own research into telephone calls from the dead and that wasn't us actually trying to contact with the dead it, it just kind of happened people will lose a family member and the telephone rings and they pick it up and they have a whole conversation oh my god we forgot to talk about that Cal, and that's why i had you on the show <laughs> there are also cases where um you've got people that don't know that a friend or family member is dead and the telephone rings people in the room see them take the call put it down 
few hours later, they find out that that person had died from someone else that rings, and they died, say, five hours before the call even took place. Uh, Thomas Edison was actually trying to make a machine that could contact the dead. He claimed to scientific America. Yeah, he, he claimed to Scientific America in the 1920s that it was going to make a telephone that could contact the dead. And he said that um, if we do survive death, it's reasonable to assume that our brain contains all of its faculties that it had when we were still alive, and therefore it's reasonable to suggest that we, anyone that does die wants to contact the living and speak to their relatives and friends still. Uh, but there's no actual evidence that he ever went ahead with his telephone. He actually died 11 years after that interview. And then uh, some blueprints turned up and half, a half-built machine. But there was no um, evidence suggesting that Thomas Edison had made it. There was loads of people still questioning, oh, did he ever make that? And it just popped up, and I think it got a lot of media attention. But even to this day, um, the uh, Thomas Edison Museum in Texas still gets a lot of emails from people asking for these blueprints so they can have a look, and they have to turn them down and say, we haven't got any blueprints. We don't have any evidence. The only a shred of evidence we have is the interview that he did with Scientific America, and he could have been winding them up. But Thomas Edison had a, a massive influence from his parents as they were spiritualists. But yeah, um, the, I can't think of any machine that science has tried to make that could be used to communicate with the dead. It's only stuff that we've used, uh, created for our own uh, benefit, like telephones to communicate with each other, uh, people that do instrumental transcommunication, ITC, where they film the static on a television and try and pick up images of the dead. Uh, we're just taking what we've got and manipulating it again to see if it works. But the, the telephone ones, that it's so spontaneous, you're not even, you don't really expect it to happen. It just does. And you're not going to believe this, guys, but we, we've just about run out of time. Cal, I'm going to have to have you back because I do want to talk about <laughs> the telephones for the dead since I totally forgot it and... We got into, I, I blame Barry, though, so let's. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I want to thank you, gentlemen, for being on the show. Uh, Cal Cooper, that's uh, calcooper.com, and also Barry John at barryjohn.com. He kind of, like, jumped on here. I think he was, like, one of those hitchhikers that they hear about. <laughs> Thanks very much, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, to let me borrow his laptop. <laughs> well, guys, I want to thank you so much, and, and really, it was quite uh, interesting. And we'll, we'll definitely have to have to continue this discussion because I have much more to say. <laughs> All right, look forward to it. All right, so thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks take care. Yeah, bye. Bye. Okay, we actually have to take a quick break right now, and uh, we have the new feature, which is on the Beyond Bazaar. So we'll be right back after this. Joined by the sternum, connected at the heart. These days, most Siamese twins have the option of attempting surgical separation at birth. But back in the early 1800s, there wasn't a choice for two guys born joined at the hip. Chang and Eng Bunker were the original sideshow Siamese twins, and they were actually joined at the sternum by a piece of cartilage. Their livers were fused together, but each organ worked independently. The Changs developed a killer business model, traveling the world to put themselves on exhibition. They finally settled down in North Carolina, of all places, and adopted the surname Bunker. They bought slaves, set up a farm, and even got married to two sisters born and raised in North Carolina. For a time, the twins and their wives all shared a bed made for four, but the sisters were prone to bickering, and soon two separate households were set up. 
The brothers would alternate three nights a week at each home, during which time they were apparently very busy. Chang's wife had 10 children, and Aang's wife had 11. The story of Chang and Aang's death is rather touching. Chang contracted pneumonia and died suddenly in his sleep. Rather than undergo emergency separation from his dead brother, Aang stepped by Chang's side and passed away three hours after his brother. The twin's liver is preserved in a museum in Pennsylvania. A hauntingly true tale from Varla Ventura's new book, Beyond Bizarre. Available now wherever books are sold. Okay, that was pretty bizarre. <laughs> 21 kids? Wow. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> so, Laura, I know we didn't get to say so much. So what do you think of all this parapsychology crap? <laughs> oh, well, I, you know, I, I kind of agree with, you know, I, I don't, I, I like to look at things in a, in that way. I like to look at the obvious first before I accept the paranormal. So I'm very much like that. So I can understand it. At the same time, I understand where you're coming from when you're saying it gets picked apart so much that it kind of falls apart. But it, it, in, at some point, you have to take in, into account the spiritual end of it, too. So Exactly. You have to have faith. Absolutely. Have faith. <laughs> <laughs> and there's so many times when you know I got to tell you when we've gone on on um, investigations and I say okay why am I doing this you know is, is it mm-hmm. more, it, and it's it's um can we really prove what's going on here and I've just you know I've come to the conclusion that for the most part we're doing it out of our own curiosity and for our own spiritual growth so that's a very personal thing so how can you really you know put that into actual physical evidence for the most part, you know. I think right. I mean, and that's the thing. When I first started the Ghost Project, you know, I said, oh, I'm going to find proof of the, yeah. you know, whatever. But then I realized that, uh, you know, to the skeptic, uh, you know, a ghost could come up and slap him across the face and you <laughs> still deny it and rationalize it away. So uh, yeah. basically I've changed my missing statement that, you know, I share my experiences on the paranormal and you can do whatever you want with them for right. all that's I care. Right, you can do it because I, I think, I think if you have a paranormal experience, it's actually only meant mostly for the people who actually experienced it. I don't think, I mean, it's great to share it and it's great to hear the stories, but um, you really have to be there to really feel it and understand it and know that it actually happened. So. I agree. And I know we're just about out of time, but uh, we will be at the uh, Circles of Wisdom tonight uh, for yeah. my paranormal study group. In fact, the Queen will be with me, Maureen, and we'll be talking about mediums and the paranormal, which will be interesting. I have some experiments and stuff I'm going to be doing, connecting the Queen to electrical outlets and stuff like that, see if she glows. <laughs> so anyways, there is a few spaces left, so if anybody wants to sign up, they can. They can call Circles of Wisdom at 978-474-8010. That's 978-474-8010. That's 7 o'clock. Tonight at Circles of Wisdom. And also next Monday is the Dining with the Dead, where I will be doing a special presentation on our new book, Ghost Today, 365 Ghost Stories from Around the World. And even cooler, join us this Halloween at the in Magnolia for a super-duper spooky time. So, anyways, time to wrap. Lala, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. We couldn't get any words in, but that's the way it is. <laughs> it was Good night God bless. <laughs> Bye-bye. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.